Hey, hey, welcome back to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. I'm your host, Derek L. Calhoun. I hope that you hit the subscribe button and that you make this podcast your favorite drive time podcast. Listen, today I want to get into topics that are deeply concerning to many Americans and people who are living in this very volatile economy. This is a very, very volatile economy, meaning it's unstable. The stock market is unstable. It, it, it hasn't gone up in a very long period of time. In other words, we haven't experienced a bull market when the stock market goes up and people make a lot of money. But some people have learned to make a lot of money when the stock market goes down using something called stops and puts. But that's neither here nor there. Today, I want to help us because I have many pastors telling me that they have churches that are not fully being supported by the congregation. And I believe a lot of that is because the congregation believes a lot of things they see on TV. There are at least 5 million pastors around the world. And the few pastors that you see on television, when there were some popular shows that came out, the pastors of L.A., the pastors of Atlanta, and so on and so forth, uh, that's wonderful. But that is a very, 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 very small percentage of people. As a matter of fact, the churches that are called mega churches are rare. The average church in America is about 50 people or less. Let me say that again. The average church in America is 50 people or less. So if you think a pastor that is pastoring one of these average churches is driving a Rolls Royce and wearing custom suits and living lavishly, uh, the math ain't mathing. So what I want to do is give consideration to what we're supposed to do as members of the body of Christ, as members of respective churches, so that at least we will be able to do some of the things that are expected of us, not by the pastor, not by the leaders, not by the trustees or deacons, but by God. As a matter of fact, the Bible for many, many years was the most trusted book in business schools in every Ivy League school in America. Uh, so you're, you're talking about Harvard, Yale, so on and so forth. People use the Bible as a book and a guide for proper business etiquette. Let me go to an article written by Cheryl Nance Nash. It's simply entitled, Is the Bible the Ultimate Financial Guide? And it was in Forbes magazine. And you can look it up under Leadership. May 24th, 2012. It starts off just with this. Grandage is a co-founder with former New York Giants player Lee Rousen of Trinity Financial Sports Entertainment and Management Company, a firm that specializes in offering guidance from a Christian perspective to professional athletes and celebrities. He says the answers to all sorts of money issues can be found in the good book. I get my financial guidance from the Bible, says Grandage, author of Confessions of a Wall Street Whiz Kid, in a prepared statement. Money and possessions are the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Money is mentioned more than 800 times and the message is clear. Nowhere in the scripture is depth viewed in a positive way. 
Grandich, who says his years as a highly successful Wall Street stockbroker left him spiritually depleted and clinically depressed, says the Bible is an excellent financial advisor, whether or not you're religious. The writers of the Bible anticipated the problems we would have with money and possessions. There are more than 2,000 references, he says. Our whole culture is now built on the premise that we have to have more money and more stuff to feel happy and secure. Public storage is the poster child for what's wrong with America. We have too much stuff because we bought in to the myth fabricated by Wall Street and Madison Avenue that more stuff equals more happiness. I was recently, I'm going to finish the article, but I was recently looking at a post that talked about Steve Jobs, when he was on his deathbed at, I think, 56 years of age, his net worth was $7 billion, and he began to reflect on life, and he talked about, he made a statement like, whether a clock is worth $300, or you bought the clock for $30, it still tells the same time. If you bought a used car for $2,000, or a brand new car for $150,000, At the end of the day, they both can get you to the same destination. And so we have to be clear not to build our hopes on the possession of money as a means of happiness or the possession of money as a means of security. Because there was a rich man in the Bible who had a lot of money and the Lord simply came to him one day when he was going to go build a city. He said, I'm going to build myself a city. And the Lord said, fool, this day thy soul is required of thee. So he never got the opportunity to spend all of that money that he worked so hard for. So it's not about making money as much as it is what you do with money. It's not about how much money you make. There was a book called Master Your Money written by Ron Blue many years ago, I believe around 1992. And in it, there was this article, uh, or at least this uh, portion of the book, that talked about a family that never made more than $19,000 a year, but they paid their tithes. They lived within their means. Let me say that again. We have to live within our means. And he invested a portion of his money into a small trucking company at the leading of the Lord, leading of the Holy Spirit. When he got ready to retire, that trucking company blew up in such a way that when he retired to his chagrin, He was a millionaire based on those small incremental investments that he made over the course of his 30-year work career. What am I saying? Be obedient to God. Do what God is telling you to do. Pay your tithes. Pay your offering. Pay your bills. Owe no man nothing but love. And watch God show you how to magnify the little that you have. Use what you have. God anticipates that. He expects that. So let me go back to this article. I pick up where I left off. We have too much stuff because we have bought into the myth fabricated by Wall Street and Madison Avenue that more stuff equals more happiness. He adds, that's the total opposite of the truth and the opposite of what it says in the Bible. What's Grandage's number one most important biblical rule of finance? God owns everything. You may have bought the house, But he gave you the money to buy it, so it is his. Even if you don't buy into that, he gave you the ability to make the money, so it's his. Well, if you don't buy into that, he gave you life so that you can make the money, and it's his. So, any way you slice it, 
Whatever we own belongs to God. And so you could go on. I'm not going to read the entire article. You can go on and read more for yourself. But I am going to read something from the Bible that will just help us in these times. The thing about tithing is very simple. God says, if I be your father, where is my honor? If God is our father, if he is our high priest, then sow into his kingdom. One of the things I opened up earlier talking about the instability and the volatility of our current economy, multinational corporations, politicians, deals made behind closed doors, trades and and different personal interests that run both governments and run financial institutions and run the basic economy of our country are virtually in cahoots with each other. And so we have to be sensitive to what's going on, like the sons and daughters of Issachar. We have to see the sign of the times and know what to do. How do we discover what to do? We read the word with intention, not just for for pleasure or for quote-unquote spirituality, but we read the word pragmatically to see what it says about life because God speaks to and tells us how to deal with life including how to deal with money. And he says the first thing we ought to do is pay our tithes. 10% of everything we make goes to the Lord. And then as we grow as believers, we begin to give more in offering because the offering has not been put. There's no cap that has been put on the offering. So we can give as much as we want to and as much as we believe that God has blessed us to give. And we look out for, look out for the poor, look out for other people. We have to, you know, sometimes we say, well, they're running a scam. They're doing this. But God blesses babes and fools. So let's not get caught up in what they're doing. My thing is, if I'm riding in the car and I see someone that's homeless and I feel led, I'm going to sell. Regardless of what scam or game they may be playing. Because I know that the money doesn't belong to me. And God blesses both babes and fools. Okay. So here's a, a scripture that is very, very powerful. I hope you read it on your own. Let's look at Luke chapter 19. And we're going to begin quickly at verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Now, Jesus spoke in parables. These were stories that he would tell people to help them to understand both the word of God and the kingdom of God. All right. So let's begin to understand the operations that should persist in the earth amongst believers based on the kingdom of God. He was near Jerusalem because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called 10 of his servants, delivered to them 10 minas. And said to them, do business till I come. The King James Version says, occupy until I come. Which in the Greek is pragmatic for do use what you have. Do what you're going to do. It's almost like do the work of a banker. Invest what I've given you. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was. That when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained, listen to this word, by trading. 
Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I had kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an, uh, an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your mouth, I will judge you, wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Do you see here that God expects the person who is given something to, even if it's one thing, to invest that thing, to expand that thing, to reproduce that thing, to multiply that thing, to make it more than it was. Whether you put it in a bank, whether you put it in investments, whether you invest in yourself, use the money in such a way that it brings glory to God because you don't return to him what he gave to you. Are, are you catching this? Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Verse 23, that at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. And so that's essentially like people today who don't want to believe in God, don't want to read the Bible, don't even think that God exists or think they have to answer to God. Well, we're all going to answer to God. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so at the coming of his return, or when we see him face to face, we need to give account of the stewardship that we had over the things and possessions that he gave us. So we look at the Bible so that we don't make the mistake of trying to create our own form of stewardship. Stewardship is the management of God's word, which teaches us how to manage God's resources. You have been listening to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. I am your host, Derek L. Calhoun. May you be blessed and may you go and influence the nations. God bless.